It's good to be with you today. I'm Dave Hemmerly, and I look forward to sharing with you um, the message today. And, you know, I've gotten to know your pastor over the past year at a regional pastor's meeting. Uh, when I first showed up at these meetings, I thought that the group of pastors had invited a Christian writer that was talking about his book and discussing his book. But I, I realized soon after arriving that it was actually a local pastor from Westchester County, your pastor, who was there sharing about his book and discussing his book. And I thought that was awesome. There's a, a pastor in my area that took the idea that he had, uh, made it into a book, got it published. And, you know, I got a lot of ideas that I uh, have always thought, oh, you know, it'd be good to publish a book, uh, write a book based on some of the ideas that I had for a book. And uh, what I love about your pastor is that he got it done. He made it happen. And uh, so I'm thankful to be with you today. If you haven't picked up his book, uh, pick up a copy. It's The Meaning of Missional. Uh, I've been in Christian ministry for over 25 years, and half of that time I was a missionary. But most recently, I am on the pastoral team of a church here in Westchester County called Redemption Community Church in Port Chester. And my family and I, we live in White Plains. Uh, there are six Hemerleys. Uh, I've been married to Virginia, my beautiful wife, for 21 years. And we've got four kids between the ages of 11 and 20. And we got three girls and a boy. And, you know, we love living in this area. We love being close to the city. We love being close to family members, relatives, and we love being close to nature. New York State is a beautiful state. Uh, well, you know, every day I end up dropping my phone. You know, usually I'm sitting on the couch and I'll have it on my leg and it'll just fall off and fall onto the floor. And I'm always nervous that I'm going to break the screen. And uh, just this past week, I had a really, uh, my phone had a really bad fall from, uh, it was in my hand, it fell from, a, it was really high up. And I thought for sure that I had broken the screen. But I, you know, I, I spend on protecting my phone. I get a screen protector. I also, you know, get a quality case uh, to prevent my phone from breaking. And, you know, there's different types of cases, right? You can get a case that protects your phone, even if it's thrown off a cliff, right? You can throw it, uh, you can drop it from any height and it won't break. Um, our phones need protection, so they won't break. And the same is true when it comes to our lives. Through the quarantine, and even now through this civil unrest, there are many of us who feel like we are breaking. One guy in my small group uh, feels like his marriage is breaking apart and he's seeking out some counseling. Uh, there's another gentleman who uh, lost his job. He's one of these guys that works for large corporate events and he doesn't know when uh, there is going to be large corporate events. And there's another uh, person in my group who she's not sure if she's going to continue to have her teaching job next year. Uh, her school is waiting to see if they're going to get the funding that was promised them from the state that is now uh, pretty much bankrupt. So many people are breaking. So many people feel like they're breaking. And we are kind of at that place where we're tired, we're struggling with the pace of the reopening. And uh, even though things are starting to reopen, we wonder what things are going to look like in the future. Will there be a surge in the amount of infections uh, with the coronavirus? And are, are, is the government going to restrict our activities 
for a, a second time, going to reimpose their restrictions. Will my kids go to school uh, in the fall in person? We don't know. We don't know what the future is going to really look like. But And so many people are at the breaking point, right? Many people are at the breaking point with injustice and are, are and a lot of people are pouring into the streets over the past week or two in protest. They're breaking under the weight of racism as we see images of George Floyd dying right in front of our eyes. There's pain, there's anger, there's deep sadness, and so much painful history for our friends of color, uh, people of color. I grieve for the great people that I know who are struggling and for the great people in our law enforcement agencies. You know, Will Smith said it well when he said, you know, we aren't facing a greater amount of racism, it's just getting filmed. It is discouraging as well uh, for me on a personal level to see how our religious liberty is being restricted. I gotta be honest, it's hard to handle a government that doesn't see church as essential. Can I get an amen? Uh, when people are allowed to walk down the aisle at the grocery store, but they can't walk down the hallway at church that is uh, implementing social distance uh, best practices, uh, I just feel like our religious liberty is being restricted. The governor says that he can't let churches open up uh, that quickly because of what happened in New Rochelle at the synagogue where there was a breakout of coronavirus infections. And, you know, that was before best practices for social distancing were put in place. And, you know, who's to say that those people didn't get the virus from Costco or some other public venue? I, I've written the governor and I posted on social media to try to influence him to change his approach to churches. And, you know, we need to be together. And I'm sure you're feeling that at home today you want to be together with the others that you know and love from your Christian community. We are made for community, uh, in, in personal community. And, you know, this isolation and the Zoom calls, they just don't quite feel the same. Well, I'm glad that the governor, uh, that he changed his position and that instead of a 50-person limit, he's decided that during phase two, which we're in right now, he's allowing churches to have to go back at 25% capacity. But, but still, what do we do with the mental, emotional, and spiritual battle that we are up against? We are spiritually worn out, and we need an infusion of strength. So I want to talk to you today about how we can protect ourselves, both spiritually and emotionally, by putting on the armor of God. We're going to look at Ephesians 6, um, chapter 6 starting in verse 10. And, you know, it's way better. The armor of God is way better than a phone case. Uh, and it will keep us from breaking. It will keep us to be strong. Strength is something that we all need in our lives right now. Here in New York, being tough, uh, by uh, putting on, uh, being tough, uh, being strong is something that our state government says that we are as New Yorkers. You see it uh, on signs as you drive around the state. New York tough. We are New York tough. And, you know, the Bible tells us that being tough, being strong comes not because we live in a certain state, but by putting on the armor of God so we don't break up. We need protection so that we don't break. And today we're going to look at what that protection is that God gives us and how that helps us to be strong. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his 
mighty power. It's the Lord that has the power. It's the Lord that is uh, strong, and he can give us his strength. Paul uh, then goes on in the following verses after verse 10 to talk about how we can be strong by putting on the armor of God. So I want to look at three simple practices today with you that we can engage in in our lives that will help us to be strong. First, we want to stand in the truth. We want to stand in the truth, stand firm in God's truth. Second, we want to believe the best. We want to believe the best. We don't want to deny reality, but we want to remember God's best words, his words, as we live our lives and move forward. And then thirdly, we want to keep doing good. We want to keep doing good and make a difference in our lives and our attitudes and our hearts. Keep doing good so that it will make a difference, that it will make a difference in our lives, in our hearts, and our attitudes. As we engage in these three practices, it will help us to be strong and help us to move forward in his strength with this protection so we don't break. Now, Paul wrote Ephesians not to actually address any specific issue, problem that he had with them. He wrote Ephesians so that uh, they would understand what God has done for them in Christ, to understand their identity and then live out of that identity as they live their lives. You know, Watchman Nee wrote a great commentary on the book of Ephesians. And he says that Paul tells the Ephesians first to sit, then uh, to walk, and lastly, to stand. In the beginning, uh, as Paul talks about all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, he wants us to sit and think and meditate on those things. Then in chapter four, he says, therefore, in light of God's spiritual blessings, This is how I want you to live, to walk in your faith, to walk this way in your faith. Then in chapter six, after he tells us how to walk, he says to stand. Now, you you know, most playbooks would have just the opposite. You'd start with standing and then you would walk and then you would sit because you're all tired. But that's not the gospel. First, you stand. First, first, you sit. The good news of the gospel is first you sit, then you walk, then you stand. It's not about a million things that we need to do. It's it's about how we need to stand firm in God's truth so that we can stand up under life's challenges. As we stand, we will be strong and God will show up and work in our lives. In verse 11, chapter 6, it says, put on the armor of God. And that is how we can be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, by putting on the armor of God. When I was uh, a kid, I really thought that I was a superhero. And this one time I was trying to be Superman and I went on this swing. It was a neighbor's swing. I enjoyed swinging on their swing set and went really high. And so this this particular day, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try to see if I can fly. And so I went... um, higher and higher and higher on this swing and I would jump off at certain points and and, and the last uh, s- swing that I did I swung so high that after I jumped out of the seat I actually started to tumble onto like I felt like I was tumbling onto my head and and I could see that I was going to land on my head and thankfully I was able to put my hands up when I landed and it, it almost knocked me unconscious 
I'll tell you, I never did that again. And I, you know, I thought I could fly. I thought I could be like a superhero, but you know what? It was an illusion. And when we come to times like this that we're living in, God reminds us that uh, we have limitations, that we're not in control. And the more we realize that God is our strength, that he's our sustainer, that he is our defender, that he is our protector, the faster that we can move forward. You begin to realize the importance of being strong by putting on the armor of God. So let's read Ephesians 6, 11 to 12. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As we read all this about the devil and evil, you, some of you might be thinking, you know, what's all this talk uh, about the unseen world? Isn't it a bunch of superstition? And I would tell you, no. You know, the Bible tells us that we actually have an adversary. Uh, it's, a, it's a person, it's a devil, an accuser. He's a slanderer who is active in the world. This adversary is not some impersonal force, like in Star Wars. He is a personal being. And in Revelation 12, 9, it calls him a liar. It calls him a deceiver. He pretends to be an angel of light. The Bible talks about demons over 80 times. And we see in Jesus's ministry while he was on earth, him casting out demons. Uh, And so what does all this mean? It means that our real enemy, friends, is not our wife. Our real enemy during this time is not our husband. It's not our kids. Our enemy is not the government who shut down the economy and implemented stay-at-home orders. It's not the police. It's not the virus. It's not the racists. Our Our enemies are not the Democrats. They're not the Republicans. It's the devil. The devil is the one who wants to cut you off from the love, the peace, and the joy that only God can give you. He's the one that wants to kill your sense of hope. He doesn't stand the chance, though, when you put on the armor of God. So be strong. Stand on the truth. A.W. Tozer said to keep the enemy out, you got to put Christ in. To keep the enemy out, you got to put Christ in. When it comes to armor, you know, it's most effective when you put it on before you need it, right? Uh, Before you go into battle. Listen, Jesus has already won the victory. He's already defeated the devil and the world. But we face battles every day. We face skirmishes every day. And we need to hold our ground and be strong on a daily basis. You know, the Roman centurions, they wore all of their armor during peacetime. They wore all of their armor because there'd be battles, there'd be skirmishes. But those battles and skirmishes were to keep what they had already won, what they had already conquered. So as the devil tries to make us fearful, as he tries to give us doubts and accuses us, we are going to defend our position with God's armor, and we can count on the devil fleeing. Be strong in the the Lord so you don't break. Put on his protection, his armor. We're in a daily battle emotionally with doubt, with the virus. We're putting on masks as we go to the store, gloves, uh, conflicting messages. We're in a battle with conflicting messages. We're in a battle with an uncertain future. Am I putting on the armor? What do I need to put on? 
Well, I want to highlight just a few pieces of armor, which I believe help us live out these three simple practices of standing in the truth, believing the best, and keep doing good. First, stand in the truth. Let's read chapter 6, verses 13 to 14. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the, bre- bre- with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The Roman centurions wore these belts, these large belts. Now, when someone's doing a lot of heavy weightlifting, uh, that wouldn't be me. I, I, you won't see me in the gym. When they're doing a lot of heavy weightlifting, they're typically wearing a belt. And the belt has uh, two functions. One, the belt is there for protection. Uh, to keep you from getting a hernia as you lift large amounts of weight. The other purpose is that it's there so that you can lift a little bit more weight than without the belt. As God tells us to put on the belt belt of truth, he reminds us, one, who he is. He's the God of truth. There's no falsehood in him. His truth is his word. Standing on God's truth will help you stand up under life's challenges. It will help you stand up under the weight of life's challenges. No matter how heavy life's challenges become, having the belt of truth will help you stand up under it. You know, if I could show you a diagram right now, I I would show you uh, at the top of the diagram, the word truth in all capital letters. And this is the truth about who God is, what God did, who you are in him. And then I'd Uh, On the bottom of that diagram, I would show you truth, the word truth in all lowercase. And that is truth about how things are. There are things that are true now, friends, about the coronavirus that might not be as true six months from now. Don't let the small truths of what's going on on a daily basis overshadow the big truths about God. Every time that my family takes a vacation and it goes on a road trip, uh, my wife always wants to play her playlist. And so, you know, typically uh, on our trips, everybody has their own device and they play their own music. But uh, typically it's in the beginning of our road trip. My wife will always want to play just for a short period of time, maybe 20 minutes, uh, maybe 30 minutes, her playlist and have everybody listen to it. She's got a good selection there. Uh, I, I like it. It's, it's probably more oldies than, uh, than modern. Uh, and, you know, when it comes to a playlist, we live with playlists in our heads. Our playlist could be a truth or it could be a lie. And listen, a lie that goes unchallenged can be a truth that you live by. Playing lies in your head Playing that playlist of lies in your head, it can ruin you. It can cause your life to tank. They can make you miserable. And as Jesus, uh, as Jesus follower, I want you to fire up your playlist. Fire up his playlist so that we, so that you can replace the lies with his truth. What are some lies that we face during this time? Well, yeah, one of the lies is that I'm alone. There's nobody that cares for me. I'm all alone to suffer. But God's truth says that I will never leave you or forsake you. We might believe the lie that it will never work out. But God's truth is, is anything too hard for me? We might believe the lie that says no one cares. But God's truth says nothing can separate you from my love. 
And another lie that we can believe is that the worst is on its way. And I'll tell you, if you listen to the media, you sure think that the worst is on its way. But God's truth says that my best is yet to come. Amen? Play his playlist in your head, and eventually the lies that you believe will be replaced, and you'll be able to stand up under life's pressures. You'll be strong, and your protection will be there so you don't break. You got to open your Bible, though. It's not going to happen just by desiring it. You got to open your Bible on a regular basis. Get into God's word. You got to read God's word. That's, that's the type of playlist that you need playing in your heart and your mind. You got to commit a certain time regularly to getting familiar with God's playlist in his word. You want to memorize scripture. You want to meditate on scripture. You want to read it. Uh, you might want to send scripture to your friends over text or email during this time since you can't see them in person. Uh, you want to talk to people about the scriptures, uh, get together on Zoom and uh, encourage with one another with how uh, God is, what God is teaching you from his word and, and, and continually work at playing his playlist in your life to replace the lies. Listen, a lie that goes unchallenged can be a truth that you live by. The second practice that we want to engage in, first one is we want to stand in the truth. The second practice that we want to engage in is so that we can, is, is another uh, practice so that we can be strong. We want to believe the best, believe the best. That's the second practice. You know, it's so easy to imagine the worst, isn't it? I saw an Instagram post recently that says, uh, people who say, what's the worst that can happen? Seriously underestimate my ability to imagine worst case scenarios. How many of us would agree with that? Can I hear an amen from all of you at home? Listen, you know, uh, this, past, this past couple months have been uh, pretty hard uh, for me as I dealt with a number of different things in, in my life. I, and it, it got me to a place where I was feeling pretty negative about, about things. And, you know, I was in between jobs. Um, I was a week away from getting an offer from uh, the church where I am now and the pandemic hit and we had to close down our in-person uh, services. Questions were running through my mind. Will I ever get hired? Will I have to uh, get a job outside of pastoring? Will I ever get a job? These were the questions that were going through my mind. And then around this time, you know, I was talking to my wife and she said, you know what, honey, we could be in a great depression. <laughs> Not to myself. Thanks for making it worse. The frustration of missing even the most mundane things for me was hard. Uh, the anxiety over my job caused me to get more pessimistic. I felt worse and worse and I got edgier with my family. And, uh, and I think that you at home can resonate with what I'm saying. Pessimistic thoughts, negative thoughts affect the way that we feel. And it gets us edgier and it affects how we see others. How, how, can you, how can we believe the best about God and the future? How can we believe the best about God and the future? That's what I want to ask you today. It's by putting on the shoes of peace, by putting on 
the shoes of peace. So Ephesians 6.15 says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. One version says shoes of peace. Turn to somebody in your house today and say peace. When it comes to shoes, um, you know, it makes me think of the, the types of clothing that we're putting on during quarantine. You know, people are wearing sweats at home, working from home, uh, uh, yoga pants, shorts, um, all different types of comfortable clothing. And when it comes to shoes in our family, uh, the, the things that, that we wear, my wife and I, we wear flip-flops around the house. And my kids have been wearing uh, their slides. And, but you know what the most popular footwear is during the quarantine? Most popular footwear are Crocs. Can you believe that? Now, what do we realize about the shoes that Paul talks about is that the footwear is connected to the gospel, to the good news. The good news for the person that has put his faith and trust in Jesus is that Jesus died a death that we should have died, and he lived a perfect life that we should have lived. And now that God who we have a relationship with because of what Jesus has done. He now dwells inside of you. He dwells inside of me. He is present with you. He has made his home with you. Usually we think, you know, peace, that it's an absence of something. It's an absence of war. It's an absence of conflict or trouble. That's not the peace that God is talking about here. He's talking about the peace that comes from the good news, that we have his solid presence. He's near to all those that call on him in truth. He is present in the midst of trouble when life is more than we can handle. Putting on the shoes of peace gives us uh, peace in our trials. And boy, is this a big trial that we are going through, isn't it? It's easy for somebody to say, you know, don't worry, be happy. It's all going to be fine in the end. And, you know, but in my family, we struggle. I'm sure in your family, you struggle as well with stress. We struggle with anxiety in our home. We struggle with worry in our home. Listen, I like to be in control of things. I like to be in control of things that I care about. Come on. Doesn't anybody at home feel the same way? I have to make a distinction in my life though. Some things I can control and some things I can't. Dr. John Delaney shared a chart with things that are above the line, which we can control and things that are below the line, which we can't control. Above the line, he says we can control our thoughts and actions. We can control how we plan our day, how we lead our family and friends. We led them a certain way before the pandemic, and we can continue to lead them during the pandemic. How I treat others is another uh, thing that we can control. What I watch, what I read, what I give my attention to, my attitude, all of these things we can control. We have the choice. There are things that we need to focus on But if you're like me, these are the things that we tend to focus on and try to control, the things below the line. Below the line, he says, we try to control other people's motives, which we can't. Predicting the future. Who knows what the new normal is going to be? Product shortages. Stop and shop still is out of toilet paper near our house. What does it take to get toilet paper after this amount of time to the local grocery store. I don't know. Other people's actions, we can't control those. How many of you have tried? How long this will last? We don't know how long this will last. Um, We don't know. 
until there's a vaccine, we're not sure. Other people's reactions, we can't control those either. All of these things are really outside of our control and we will experience more peace in our trials if we focus on the things above the line and surrender to the things below the line. If you want peace, you need to pry your fingers. You need to pry your fingers off of the things that you can't control. Each morning when you slip into your Corona life shoes, remind yourself that you have peace with God. And if you believe the best, you become the best. Third, the third practice we want to engage in so we can be strong is keep doing good. Keep doing good. The best way to deal with defeated thoughts is through positive actions. The best way to deal with defeated thoughts is through positive actions. Let's read Ephesians six seventeen. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Listen, we are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle, friends. And, you know, as we look at this particular verse, we, we see Paul talking about a helmet. And, you know, helmets, uh, you know, if you look at a professional football team, helmets are things that protect football players, right? They protect uh, football players' heads. And, you know, uh, my favorite team are the San Francisco 49ers. Sorry, I, I, I'm not a... Um, fan of any New York football teams. Um, I became fans of San Francisco way back in the uh, 80s when Joe Montana was quarterback and they were winning Super Bowls. Um, I've stuck with them ever since. But one of the things about helmets is they protect the player, but they also identify what team the player is a part of. It's not just something that protects, it's also something that identifies you. You're a member of that team. And in Romans 8.1, we read that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You are outside the realm of condemnation. Jesus lived, he died and rose again so that we could be rescued from sin and so that we wouldn't be condemned. There's no condemnation because it, what we see is what God has done through Jesus is that uh, he has delivered us from the penalty, rescued us from the penalty of sin. We deserve to have death, but Jesus, because he died on the cross and took the penalty for our sin in the past, we no longer have to face punishment for our sins. In the present, God has, through Jesus, delivered us from the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to Christ. And we can live in the way that God is calling us to live. And in the future, as we look to the future, we long and we look forward to being free from the presence of sin. To be free from the presence of sin. Someday in the future, not only will God be in heaven, but there will be no longer any sin. Now, we live in a world with sin with biases, racism, but when we get to heaven, those things will be there no more. There's no condemnation when you let jealousy get the better of you or when you weren't there for your loved one. There is no condemnation when you lost your temper and you let those words fly, when you were unfaithful in a relationship or when your marriage fell apart or uh, when you weren't there for your spouse or when you weren't there as a parent or 
when the prescription pills became an addiction or when the sexual sins consumed you. There is no condemnation for gossip that was passed on and destroyed somebody else's reputation. There is no condemnation for fudging the numbers and believing the end would justify the means or when you drank too much or another time when you promised God that you wouldn't do it again and then you did it. My question for you today is, are you walking in this freedom? Or are you carrying around the shame that you ask God to forgive you a hundred times? In Christ, the old has gone, the new has come. We're a new creation. It's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Put on the helmet of salvation and celebrate God's rescue. We need to understand that God is working in situations that we don't even understand. We need to celebrate God's rescue. Now, this rescue, our salvation, means that we are going to live a certain way, to keep doing good, to do the next good thing. And in Philippians 2.10, it says that we should work out our salvation, for it is God who works in you. Work out what God has worked into you. It's like a tube of toothpaste. We use the old-style toothpaste with the tube that you squeeze. And if you think about it, God has put salvation into our toothpaste tube. And we are the ones, as we live our lives, need to work it out through good works. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, when I first got married, we had bought a house and I wanted to just uh, shift around a couple of lights in our kitchen what I needed to do was remove a couple tiles to do that and uh, replace some tiles. And uh, we didn't have one of those uh, ceilings, tile ceilings that just drop ceiling. Uh, we had one of those tile ceilings that are uh, the acoustic tiles, square tiles that are kind of um, stuck to the sub ceiling. And so I began to remove some of these tiles thinking that I could just get replacement tiles at Home Depot but what I didn't understand is that they were so old that Home Depot didn't make those, that style anymore. So I, had, so I began to tear out the entire ceiling, and then I tore out the entire sub-ceiling, and then I had to figure out how to put up these acoustic tiles with a track system that I had never done before. And you got to realize, I am not a handy type guy. So when I take on a project like this, I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed. But I was determined to do it myself, and I was going to do it. But you know what? After a month in, the ceiling was still open. I had put in, I was starting to put in some tracks for the tiles. My wife said to me while we were sitting on the couch one evening, she's like, you gotta, I want my kitchen back. You got to get this done. I was feeling weary, friends. It's easy to feel like you don't have any good left. You don't have any good left in you going through the season that we're in. You feel as though you're growing weary but here's the promise. Doing good things leads to good life, leads to good things coming into your life. You can just start with what is in front of you. You don't have to meet every need. And during this time, there are a lot of them. Every time you're patient with somebody, that's a good work. Every time you offer an encouraging word, that is a good work. Every time you offer to listen, that is a good work. Every time you pray for your family or your leaders or your government, that is a good work. Every time you believe the best about somebody, that is a good work. Every time you show up when you want to check out, that's a good work. Every time that you offer a helping hand, that is a good work. Every time you want to uh, do what you said you were going to do, that is a good work. Every time you keep the faith, 
that is a good work. Every time you serve someone, that is a good work. During this time of need, are you serving those in need? Are you doing good so that those who are struggling, those who've fallen on hard times, can get the help that they need? If you have a stable job, are you sharing more right now with your church, with the local organizations, so that those who've been let go from their jobs, who are struggling financially, can have essential food and supplies that they need to live on? Are you taking this opportunity with more time that you have because of the quarantine to find a place to serve others in your church or in the community in practical ways? Does this community see your church as so essential to meeting the practical needs during the pandemic that they see you as a vital part of this community? That if your doors would close on this church one day, your church would close down, that the people around this community would say, I don't know how we're going to carry on without that church. One of the things that we've done at my church, at Redemption Community Church, is to reach out to local community service organizations and ask them what they need help with. One organization was seeing an increase in the need for uh, meals. Uh, And so we jumped in, we partnered with them, and we are delivering meals. Our volunteers are delivering meals on a weekly basis now. Each week, we have uh, a couple more volunteers joining us, delivering meals all around Port Chester. And in five weeks, we've been able to deliver 160 meals, hot meals, to people in Port Chester who are in need, who are uh, facing food insecurities. So keep doing good. Do the next good thing. Don't give up. It's the fruit of your salvation. Dieter Zander uh, was a great preacher. He was uh, very winsome. He was able to attract a lot of people around him. He was very gregarious. Maybe you know some people like this. And when Dieter was 40, he woke up one day and had a stroke. This was one of the best communicators you would ever hear. And he wakes up one day and he can't even speak. And you ask yourself, how does a guy like that keep on going? Well, he got a job as a crossing guard. He could do that without communicating. Then someone gave him a camera and he took photographs. People say that a photo is worth a thousand words. (laughs) And then a friend got him a job at Trader Joe's. Uh, He worked um, in the back of Trader Joe's. Uh, and he worked in the back with the spoils. And the spoils are those items that have defects that you can't actually sell, so you donate them to food banks or to the poor, the disadvantaged in the community. And he said that he related to the spoils because even though he is flawed and broken, God still uses him. When he talks about his relationship with God, he says that he used to feel like God was his boss, but now he feels like God is his friend. When he thinks about work, Work is no longer work, but it's a pleasure. And you know what he calls his stroke? He calls it a stroke of grace. He has two tattoos on his arm. One is of a lightning bolt on the side that he can't move, that the stroke affected, the the stroke uh, paralyzed. And the other is on his other arm, a tattoo of water. And every time he looks at it, that tattoo, it reminds him of Jesus, the living water. And every time he extends an arm 
to somebody that he sees, he says, living water to you. What is he doing? He's doing the next good thing. Putting on the helmet of salvation, it's not about performance. It's about God's grace. Life is simply about loving God and loving others. Listen, life is going to come with challenges, and we're not going to be able to control everything. Sometimes things are going to happen, and we're not going to be able to explain it or control it. You can deal with negative thoughts through positive actions. The good life is found not in the good that we get for ourselves, but in the good that we can do for others. Celebrate the rescue of your salvation and move forward by doing the next good thing. And that is how we can be strong and have the protection that we need to keep us from breaking. Stand in the truth, believe the best, do the next good thing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time today. We thank you that we can look at some practices that are going to keep us strong. Lord, we're facing a lot of challenges in our lives. Um, And Lord, we look to you as the giver of all good things to give us this strength as we put on your armor. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.